The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, North London derby. Spurs join the ranks of big opponents Arsenal don't turn up for. Meanwhile, Raffolution, Raffa the Gaffer, off the staffer at Everton after defeat to Superior Norwich. We talk about the weekend's games, the De Brunner stunner, and why you can bet the house on James Ward-Prowse. Hear more about AFCON and other things too in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello everybody, it's January the 17th, Monday, and I'm sat here ready to bring to bear the full power of uh, the intellects of Daniel Storey, Charlie Eccleshare and Carl Anker on this weekend's action. Hello to you all. Carl, welcome back. Hello James, how are you doing? Late Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year to you too. So much has changed actually since you were last with us. Uh, back then City were champions, Man United lacked a working midfield. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll talk more about Man United later on, I, I, I imagine. Lots for us to discuss today. Uh, Charlie, you were meant to be at the North London derby on Sunday, but of course that didn't happen because Arsenal. This postponed this fixture on uh, Saturday at Arsenal's request. Not the first game that has been uh, rescheduled under the current COVID uh, regulations, but probably the most egregious example, I think, for many observers of a, of a, of a game that actually didn't really need to be rescheduled. What do you think? Well, yeah, I was doing a big piece on this yesterday that went up this morning on the kind of, this was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, and a lot of Premier League execs, etc., are up in arms, you know, that Arsenal got this game, cooled off with just one covid case at the time that they made the application they have subsequently had another one hmm. yeah i mean the, the 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 difficulty with this is is that as far as the rules go which state the need to have 13 uh, outfielders and a goalkeeper available arsenal were within their rights and with all of this you know don't shoot the messenger but they feel completely unrepentant because they've had request a request anyway against brentford on the opening weekend turned down that they thought was legit because they had a, a COVID outbreak. Of a, I mean, it wasn't tons of players, but, you know, that they felt sufficient that they had a case. Mm. And with this, they feel the rules are there. They met the criteria and, you know, they put this to the Premier League. The Premier League believed they met the criteria and so the game was off. Um, they thought it was a work event. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, exactly, I get yeah. It. it fits in with, with the wording. What is it? All clubs are able to apply for a postponement if COVID infections are a factor in their request. But it, it does seem to make a mockery of common sense. Do you think then that this might might mark a kind of uh, a watershed in the league's approach to postponements that we might see them clamping down a bit more? And as in other leagues, the Bundesliga, for example, do you know how many postponements they've had this season? Z- zero. Same as La Liga. Yeah, and even in City A, which was an utter farce until last weekend with games not going ahead and, and officially the position was that uh, one side would be forfeiting the, fi- the fixture. Um, and they, They've now managed to get their house in order. All the games went ahead this weekend. Uh, do you think that the Premier League are going to be taking a new direction on this? No, the, the impression very much, to be honest, sorry sorry to disappoint, the impression very much is that they won't be changing midway through the season. Uh, I mean, they might, they might come under pressure from clubs, but we hear this buzzword, 
integrity, integrity of the competition a lot, which is one of those slightly meaningless things like, you know, demanding for consistency from, from referees. But right. you, you, you can see that from their perspective. They're saying, well, how how can you change the rules midway through? Because that's just going to lead then to other clubs are going to be up in arms saying, how is it fair that, you know, we were fine from a COVID perspective for the mm. first half of the season and didn't have any postponements, but then the second, now we can't get games called off that we want. So but, I, I don't think they'll be changing. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's their position. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Carl and, and Daniel have a view on this, but I think one thing that made this particularly difficult for a lot of people to accept was the fact that Arsenal only had, as you mentioned, one confirmed COVID case. The other issues were injuries that all clubs run into, players away at the Africa Cup of Nations, which, to be fair, we did kind of know was happening. And above all, players they themselves had only just decided to let go because they didn't need them, like Maitland-Niles, who went that week to, to Roma. Yeah, I, I, the injuries point is is relevant here because the Premier League appear to have, have taken a stance and I, I can see their point on it that it isn't just about the number of COVID cases necessarily. It's about player workload and player safety, although that sounds a very grand word for it. Um, you look at Leeds at the weekend and Martiello Bielsa has been very adamant that he, he wouldn't apply for games to be called off and they are down to a threadbare squad and within 25 minutes two of their first team players are coming off with muscle injuries. The Premier League's point is it isn't just about COVID cases, it's about player wellness in general, that if, if players are being forced to risk injury through COVID then there is an argument for postponing that game. The problem is, as with everything in, in modern football now, is you, every decision is inevitably going to make one party not just feel aggrieved but also get their fans into kind of whipped up into this state of outrage and I've no doubt that if it was the other way around then both sets of fans would be behaving according to exactly how the others are now because there just isn't a way of doing that now it's 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 almost to me it's almost like refereeing decisions in that every decision that gets made has to kind of it's sparked this either semi-conspiratorial theory or this isn't fair on my club and what about this club? It's just so messy that it's very hard unless you have those hard and fast rules in place. And and I think the Premier League made a mistake by not publicising those at the start of the season. Everything just feels really messy from that point onwards. What about Sky as well? The, The broadcasters? Yeah, and, and the TV audience, but this was a massive game, what a, a massively anticipated game. You were going there, you were looking forward to it. I think everyone was, and particularly the TV companies, built their Sunday around it, and all of a sudden, yeah, no. Mm. There's a weird thing with, with the, in, the inherent reaction or the intrinsic reaction from supporters for that is, you know, Gary Neville tweeted, everyone says, oh, you're just looking after Sky, you're just looking after Sky. We do have to remember that those broadcasting deals pay the Premier League wages they allow them to buy players they aren't they aren't merely a you know a spectator party in the same way we are yes there is a perception that football the Premier League in particular bows to broadcasters over supporters to to a fault but they do pay the wages more than supporters do unfortunately and that's the reality of of business but the problem is as well I mean Daniel touches on there that um, the Premier League, the fact that the rules, they seemed very opaque and no one quite knew what they were. But now we do know what the rules are and people are still calling this buzzword of all we want is transparency. Well, the transparency is sort of there. It's just you don't agree with it. And that's a different thing. I don't want transparency. (laughs) Well, is that? Yeah, it's just like what you want. It's like with VAR. It's like we just want consistency. No, what you want is decisions that you agree with all the time. But that's going to be another man's inconsistent. Charlie, that's not what I want either. But that's for for another. (laughs) I mean, I've got a long list of things, to be honest. But uh, I think even within 
I think even within that, we talk about transparency. It, I don't think these rules are particularly transparent. If, again, all clubs are able to apply for postponement if COVID-19 mm. infections are a factor. Uh, like factoring is that sort of whiffy secret asterisk you can put into any term. And I think what we've got this season is there is no real silver bullet to, to this situation that can please everyone. You can't prioritise player care without having some form of games postponed. You can't postpone games without angering fans slash broadcasters and whatnot. So you have this situation where there are a lot of, even the people that do really, really care, everyone's operating in some form of self-interest. And then the people that say they're not of working in self-interest are still working in some form of self-interest, which creates this very weird, difficult situation where, and you know, to, to carry on from Dan's point, one one thing we've, we are in, in, in football media and, and well, wider society is the worst thing you can be or look like is a hypocrite. Mm. Uh, it's less about doing bad things and more about doing things that don't align with things you have previously said. Mm. Uh, and I think what you've got from the Premier League is a series of flimsy rules because they don't necessarily want to look like hypocrites. And I think a lot of the reaction towards Arsenal in particular was in a certain way because Arsenal looked a little hypocritical because of their initial reaction to the postponed game against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup only mm. to now turn around and say, oh, we can't do the North London derby. Uh, which, I mean, yes, Arsenal have were well within their rights to not play in the North yeah, London derby according say, to the rules. But then you say, well, then change the rules. And right. that's when you get into this very odd cycle where the rules probably aren't good enough. They're probably not yep. clear enough. Um if you allowed five different football fans to rewrite the rules, you'd end up with five different versions of footballing rules based on everyone's personal preference and yeah, opinions on COVID. I so it's it's a mess. Four or five of those five would be better than the situation we currently have. Whereas you mentioned, <laughs> Arsenal did play Liverpool and held them to a nil-nil draw on Thursday, only to then say, but there's no way we can fulfil our fixture on Sunday, I just think for the Premier League, it, it's an unsustainable situation. It's a massive blow to the credibility of the league worldwide. I'm aware we should stop talking about actual f- football at some point. But um, the, the other thing, and I think we mentioned it last week, is <clears throat> we still don't have any notion on any guidance on unvaccinated players and self-isolation due to contact with COVID cases. Because that's something that clubs aren't really talking about and I understand why because if they do start talking about it people start asking for names and then we start Mm. hearing about which players are unvaccinated and which aren't which clubs understandably want to avoid that kind of adds this another kind of grey area to everything which in the Premier League's defence is very hard for them to sort out because if vaccination is a choice but playing unvaccinated if you're a contact of someone isn't a choice that's a really hard thing for them to sort out. Tottenham were well within their rights to be furious about Arsenal getting this postponement but I think it would be naive to imagine that had they been in the same position they would have said well you know what fair cop we've we've got an absolutely ravaged squad but we're going to accept it and play and I know and I know Leeds are to to a large extent doing that and, and absolutely fair play to them but you're then relying on the goodwill of football clubs and sort of know how that's going to end a lot of the time all right well let's talk about Leeds who did bother showing up and playing and did pretty okay let's Get a quick check on the results that did take place and then give Leeds some love. Eight games took place this weekend. Back on Friday, there was the usual late drama at the Amex as Brighton grabbed a 1-1 draw with Palace. Saturday, 
Man City, Chelsea finished 1-0. Kevin De Bruyne with a stunner there. Norwich got their first win since November and ended Rafa Benitez's reign at Everton with a 2-1 victory at Carrow Road. Meanwhile, at St James's Park, a late equaliser from Watford's João Pedro ended the Hornets' six-game losing streak and saw the points shared between the two teams. At Villa Park, a new signing Philippe Coutinho brought Villa back from 2-0 down for a draw with Man United while not far away. Wolves beat Saints 3-1. A Sunday, Leeds won a thriller with West Ham 3-2 and Liverpool were 3-0 winners over Brentford. The title race is over. There's a mildly interesting question of which uh, team will finish second behind Man City. Liverpool to Chelsea. Liverpool two points above the Blues at the moment with a game in hand. The race for top four looks uh, rather more exciting. Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham, maybe Man United in the picture there. West Ham currently are fourth. Arsenal two points behind them with Spurs four points below the hammer. Spurs currently, though, with four games in hand on David Moyes' side. Extraordinary. Let's hear about West Ham 2, Leeds 3. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Now Rafinha plays the ball to the far side to Harrison. Harrison clips it in! Oh, it's a hat-trick for Jack Harrison! And Leeds United are back in front here. And there are some super, super scenes behind the goal as the away fans go mad again. One Daniel story in the eye Monday morning calling this one of the performances of the season given Leeds absentees. Daniel. Yeah, absolutely. We've just mentioned about um, Leeds and Marcello Bielsa in particular persevering through um, various different COVID-19 crises by saying we want to play. Uh, Their bench yesterday was remarkably inexperienced and he had to use two of those players because as I say he, he they picked up two muscle injuries early on Junior Firpo and Adam Forshaw and and they also had to win the game three times because they can't <laughs> defend properly um, but they did they did win the game three times even at 3-2 up they played with this kind of insouciance as if to say well we know what we're like so we're probably going to have to force score a fourth here so why don't we do it before this time why don't we do it before West Ham equalise and you know they should have done bar an unfortunate deflection off Rodrigo on the line they're just they're so so good I mean Rafinha is by a mile I think the best player in the bottom half by a mile and I mean we talk about the inflation of transfer fees, but you can still find a bargain. He costs Leeds £17 million, which is certainly not nothing, but in today's money is is astonishing value for money. Um, mm. We don't know how long he'll stay, but these are the type of players that you, you don't really worry about that. You just make sure to enjoy them along the way because they don't come around very often. Created seven chances in this game. He scored or assisted 10 goals so far this season. Uh, how much did the exotic sounding Jack Harrison cost Leeds? Uh, he cost them actually a, a fair amount of money from from Manchester City. He was, he, I think we talked about him before, but Harrison has this incredible mm. backstory of going off to to US schooling and then college system and then into the the City Football Group system with with New York City and then to England. He he's not been very good this season, it has to be said. He was he was excellent last season, but not to take anything away from him because they were good goals, but he was just right place, right time. And if you know. Rafinha, if you're on the same wavelength as Rafinha and you kind of work out where he's going to play his passes, then it's absolute gold dust for an attacking midfielder because mm. he's just 
everything is on a plate for you. It's not just the accuracy and the, the kind of creativity and the pulling defenders away. It's like the weight of the passes is just perfect. So yeah, they tell they tell the striker what to do. I love those passes, and that and that was def- for that third goal. It was just like it's a great. Fi- I love that finish, but the pass just tell look. This is what you've got to do because I'm playing the pass into such a specific area. I remember coming on here a few weeks ago, and it was after they'd lost to Arsenal, and there was a bit of the, you know, Bielsa is he who you want in a relegation dogfight? They should get someone in with it, and and I I mean, it, it it's one of these things where because it's almost self-evident we prop you know you can't talk about it every time they win a game but what the job he has done with a squad that is a lot of championship level players to get them last season mid-table and playing the football they play and still playing the way they do and getting results even with an absolutely injury ravaged team it's not a case of you know get someone to keep them up these players are not they are not of a level where they necessarily even should be staying up. But the job he does is is just unbelievable. And watching them play yesterday again, it's just, they're one of my favourite teams to watch in the league. And I, I think the job he's done, it, it, he almost doesn't get enough credit because it becomes, we become normalised to mm. the fact that they can go and beat City at the Etihad like they did last season. And so we think, oh, they've beaten West Ham. That's good. It's not that big a deal for them. But it is. Them still being in the Premier League is is incredible. Well, yeah, and they'd only just lost to West Ham in the Cup 2-0. And here they were at the London Stadium where Liverpool and Chelsea both lost this season. Where did this performance come to? I know they it's their second win in a row because they also beat Burnley back uh, at, at the start of the month, uh, 3-1. But, you know, uh, Burnley, etc. So where did this come from? I think this came from a very good pressing effort from Leeds United up front. Uh, so West Ham were quite poor, but they were made to look poor. It's a job in particular was very slack trying to, to pass into midfield and there were two very good opportunities for Leeds where they capitalised. And we, this is what Leeds are. We, they are a very aggressive front foot football team. If you give them an inch, they will absolutely crush you with their press and they'll be hyper-aggressive with it. And you're, the way you're supposed to beat Leeds is by carrying the ball, being really ambitious in your dribbling, trying to move people out of position with the, and, and exploit that man-marking system. But West Ham didn't really get going-ish. Um, and I think, yeah, that leads, the aggression of Leeds' press really caught West Ham out. Mm. It, it was as if watching Declan Rice yesterday, it was as if only he had watched Leeds United play before. Because <laughs> he was trying to do this kind of job of three or four players who weren't doing theirs. And he was kind of... He was charging forward the ball. He was playing give and goes. He was sprinting down the left wing and then down the right wing and then through the centre. And it was he's kind of looking around and saying, like, everybody should be doing this. Like, yes, I'm quite a good footballer and yes, I'm in brilliant form this season, but we can all do this. Jared Bowen is an honourable exception. He was excellent other than the missed mm. header. But yeah, defensive, as Carl says, it's a Diop is. I thought he was looked really good when he came to the Premier League, but he got, he was, when he was substituted yesterday, West Ham fans were cheering his substitution, which is... Not a particularly good look, and I think, I mean, the return of Kurt Zuma can't come quickly enough if they're going to mm-hmm. stay where they are. When's that due to happen? Soonish, I think he's back in training. Um, but it just, I mean, it does show that the strength in depth is just not there compared to the teams around them. Um, mm. I mean, right, they're lucky that Rice and Antonio and Bowen have pretty much been fit all season. But as soon as they lose one central defender, everything looks like it breaks a little bit. 
Rice as well, I, I, I do think is becoming increasingly kind of Roy of the Rovers, Stevie G, kind of <laughs> mid-noughties, just getting it and, and just running with the ball and sort of carrying the fight seemingly on his own at times. I will say that does worry me in that we constantly talk about, we constantly go to international tournaments and talk about, oh, why don't England have a regulator or controller or someone who can calm things down? Uh, and anytime there is a decent looking number six style defensive midfielder, such as the English way, of we just push them closer and closer and closer towards the goal and say, you're good at football. Now you have to decide football games by scoring rather than passing in and slowing down the pace. And, and you know, this is not me saying Declan Rice is a bad football player, far from it. I think he's turned into one of the better central midfielders out there and he really is making good on his whole, I like Yaya Toure stuff. But I am going, oh no, now we've got to find another number six because you're not going to be the number six anymore. You're now going to be the attacking guy because we've, but we've got so many attacking guys. Mm-hmm. Oops. Also, I think it's it's remarkable now we're talking about West Ham and how it's vaguely disappointing they're not going to make the top four. But they are fourth at the moment, just to say. But yes. They are. I, I think they will probably fall away a little bit and end up in the Europa League places, which will feel disappointing in that weird way of, the way you start the season informs dramatically informs you know, the perception of the way you end one. But the fact that West Ham are now consistent Europa something contenders, if not Champions League contenders, is, is remarkable. Hi again, listeners. It's me again from Paddy Power. I'm like that blue bottle that you can't quite trap to swat. Buzz, buzz, buzzing away. Leicester City will be fresh and raring to go come Wednesday evening after Brendan Rodgers and his men had their game last weekend against Burnley postponed because of COVID. Spurs, meanwhile, crashed out of the League Cup in midweek and probably smelled blood with Arsenal having endured a gruelling nil-nil draw in Anfield with 10 men for the best part of an hour. But the Premier League decided to accept Arsenal's request and postpone the game at the weekend. Seemingly, the pandemic has made it a little easier to get a game called off. Hashtag LasagnaGate. The Paddy Power traders make Spurs a 15-8 shot for a top-four finish and have priced Leicester at 33-1 in the same market. So no surprise, Spurs are the favourites at 13-10, the Leicester win is 2-1, and the draw is 12-5. Brendan Rodgers' charges do look like there may be a bit of value here, though, for a number of reasons. Firstly, Leicester are the fresher of the two sides. Secondly, they have scored 15 goals in their last five games, a decent haul. And thirdly, they have James Madison, what a nice young chap, who's on fire at present, having hit seven goals in his last ten in all competitions. Remarkable. Since the Foxes came back to the top flight in 2014, there has been 54 goals in their 14 meetings with Spurs, without having to WhatsApp Mystic Meg, I think, both teams to score. Looks pretty likely. They say a blue bottle fly can smell things that are up to 750 yards away. And I think I'm getting the scent of value on the Foxes here to win the match and both teams to score at a very attractive 4-1. to one. Hashtag not Tottenham. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Arsenal had a sick note, so no North London derby. Man United did play away at Aston Villa. Crikey. And oh, Carl. Yeah, Carl's got his face on. Uh, they were 2 0 <laughs> up, Man United. We'll talk about them in a second. But first, let's love Philippe Coutinho. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I in the, the the score column, I kind of 
offered a slightly negative tinge on that, which is is basically that, that Danny Ings and, and Ollie Watkins, I don't think can play together. Um, I think Villa have won two of their last eight when they've started together. And in both those games, they only scored the goals when one of them had been taken off. Right. I, I, I don't think they're a great partnership. But what that does mean is that if you then sign an attacking midfielder who can play pretty much anywhere you want him to as a kind of roaming number eight, either off the left or even as a number 10, which is what he always wanted to do and actually very rarely has. It does rather solve that problem instantly. It's a pretty short term solution in that he's only on loan and we don't know if he'll be permanent, but it's going to, again, it's going to be fun watching him while he does stay because Mm. I kind of worried that he'd been a little bit broken by the Barcelona experience, he, but he he looks older, doesn't he? I mean, I know yeah. he's been away four years, but it looks <laughs> it like, like, it's like yeah, it looks like when to, sort of t- Tony Blair two thousand and three sort of time, when, <laughs> right? Um, but no, he. I mean, signings like that are always bigger than just the individual because it, it sends a message to Villa's players: a, we can our club can attract these players, and therefore we might be able to attract more. So I should up my game, and b, if he plays well, it's a joy playing alongside him. So mm. yeah, it's great stuff among the players enjoying uh, featuring alongside uh, the Brazilian, uh, the increasingly impressive uh, Jacob Ramsey, who also contributed a, a goal mm. and an assist in this one. Ooh, Coutinho's already got as many goals in the Premier League as Jaden Sancho, lols. <laughs> Coutinho, though, I feel I feel his look is more... He, he looks like a slightly older actor mm. trying to play a teenager or something because he's there's still like a slightly youthful element to him but greetings he, he fellow just... kids yeah, yeah mm. exactly <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean i hope i hope he's i think we talked about this before i hope he's more the kind of cavani than the falcao when mm. you know these slightly older legendary players come back to the premier league and you wonder how much they're still going to be up for it he uh he did look up for it um Certainly on the weekend, and it was quite sweet how all the players just instantly looked to him and were like, "Here, have the ball. Can you can you do something with it?" <laughs> all right then, Carl Anker United, who have conceded two more goals this season in the Premier League than Burnley, who are bottom of the table. What, what happened here, and should we be worried? What happened for United was. Uh, the manifestation of, of long-standing problems, so a lack of control in central midfield, um, a unconvincing execution of a more pronounced tactical system than what we've seen previously. So Rangnick isn't going full Rangnick in his sort of four-two-two-two-two system, high pressing, or whatnot. He's definitely realised, oh no, these players aren't going to learn this in five months let me apply the handbrake and make things simpler and, and play a little bit more around Bruno Fernandes which was good for the opening two goals uh, United were I'm trying to think of a word that's less than good and somewhere above average <laughs> so yeah uh, so that acceptable. was happening yeah they were they were acceptable for their first two goals and I think what was also quite interesting after the the, the result was um, Rangnick admitting that he Probably you know, he was considering when he got to two no up. He thought about going to three at the back, um, but didn't because he thought they'd get pushed back and the three would eventually become a five at the back and invite more pressure. Um, to which he said afterwards, you know, if 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 I could have a mulligan and a redo, I'd probably go three at the back. So you, it's also this weird thing where you're seeing a manager almost learn on the job how to deal with the chaos that is Premier League football, mm. which is concerning if you're a Manchester United fan. So I think when he when he, he came in as the interim and whatnot the best case scenario was his methods were going to take United would have a little dead cat bounce end up in top four because the really interesting bit was obviously this 
ambiguous two-year consultancy role he's supposed to have. Right. Uh, and it was less about him being a fantastic football manager and, and, and United going back on their perch by the end of the season or, or closer to that perch. But the fact that he would be around and advising and be the sort of director of football or close to the, the director of football advising United on how to build a modern football club. Uh, the concern now is his methods might be too esoteric. The league table isn't looking too promising. So when he does leave his interim role and become this consultant, no one's going to listen to him because they'll right. go, well, you weren't that good. Uh, and I think that's the concern with United right now. They are drifting sideways again after another, you know, every time there's a promising season, you go, oh, this is it. They're now going to make the jump. They just... Also, all the stories about unrest in the dressing room and that, Ralph Rannick saying after the game that Antony Martial had asked not to be in the squad, which Martial then denied. It, mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be a particularly healthy explanation for that kind of thing. No, it does not. We don't know who is being more truthful, is what I would say, instead of mm. truthful. I think there's definitely shades to what Alternative we're, we're seeing. Alternative truth. Mm. There are definitely shades to, to what we're seeing here. And, and um, there are interviews and snippets and, and word coming from here and there about different cliques in the dressing room and the impact of the size of certain tables in Carrington, which which is concerning. And you know, you'd, you'd hope... Seriously, so do people have different sized dinner tables? Well, so the one of the issues being raised possibly is is the idea that the the dinner tables at Carrington can can sit six people because okay. of COVID restrictions and whatnot, which now very quite quickly makes it easy to divvy up cliques because right. there's just less interaction and less togetherness around the squad. Um, so you, yeah. Uh, who's who's on Ronaldo's table? Break it down for us, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, w- I would I would imagine uh, if you simply go by who celebrates with whom at the end of full time, it, it seems as if uh, Bruno Fernandes, Alex Tillis, uh, and Fred are sort of gravitating closer towards Cristiano Ronaldo now. Um, I wouldn't say that's a clique or whatnot, but I'd just say if you just look at those photographs, those th- right, those yeah. gentlemen seem to be talking to each other at the moment. Um, it's, it's a weird thing at Manchester United. It, uh, uh, it's the mo- one of the most expensively assembled squads in world football if not ever and they're being outdone by someone you know a Barcelona flop on loan and an academy child so they need at least three central midfielders I don't know if they're going to get any central midfielders over January because again we don't know how much autonomy Ralph Ragnar has and we also have no idea who the future Manchester United manager is so will they want you know leg breakers or will they want creators in their midfield um, it looks as if the you know former glue of that dressing room, Paul Pogba, is sort of giving a big shrug of his shoulders, going, "I'm not touching that. I'm not coming back." Was he uh, the glue? It seems as if he might be. If you look backwards now, you know, hmm. hindsight and whatnot. But if you if you look at it, every time Pogba is not fit, uh, you well for starters, you have the you know dearth of creativity or that sort of. They lose that extra bit of gloss because he's an amazing, unique passer, um, and then you sort of. Look at the language profiles of a squad like Manchester United. Look at Paul Pogba's language profiles. You know, Pogba speaks English, French, Spanish. Um, I, I think he believe you know, Italian, and I think he can do a little bit of Portuguese. We know that Pogba is quite close with Edison Cavani in the dressing room. Uh, so it would not surprise me if there are times where Cavani can't quite find English word for it. So Pogba's translating for him. Um, so yeah, uh, Pogba's broken. And even though the idea is he's the virus of the dressing room. It seems to be he's the one who can go from table to table and say, "Who? how's everyone getting on? 
So, yeah, I'll be devastated when he leaves. <laughs> it is quite a... I mean, I think I've said this before regarding the coaching at United, but even in general, I don't expect Manchester United fans to agree with this, but it is quite reassuring for the rest of world football that you can, as Carl says, create a squad, one of the most expensive squads in the history of the game. And yet, if you don't do the basics right, and if you don't get thing those kind of intangibles right, like team spirit and morale and um, communication you can look very average very quickly. It's kind of reassuring that, yes, money makes a huge difference and we're speaking about a league in which we have another runaway champion probably and it's the same ones we normally have. But it is quite reassuring. But with enough that, ineptitude, you can, yeah, you can do it. You can make a top four race you out of this. You can still achieve your dreams, kids. <laughs> depending on how you look at this, depending on how you look at Manchester United, they're either a very avant-garde footballing experiment in mm. what happens when you don't sign a director of football what happens when you don't sign a central midfielder what happens when you don't remove the manager at the time you're supposed to remove the manager and you don't you know hire the correct replacement three times in a row so from the outside looking in, if you're not a Manchester United fan I'm sure this is very entertaining to watch uh, if you are a Manchester United fan I'm very sorry. This is not going to get any better anytime soon. If you are entertained by Man United and their travails, you'll be tuning in on Wednesday when they visit the Brentford Community Stadium for the first ever Premier League meeting between Man United and Brentford. Hang on, did they not have a? Did they not have a first? What happened? Was, it was that postponed? COVID postponed. Oh right. Okay. But, that, but what Carl's saying mm. does tie in some. I mean, I remember <laughs> the kind of idea of an experiment. I was when David Moyes was managing United and they were doing so badly. It always made me think because I remember during Alex Ferguson's time when they were winning so much, it would be a kind of hypothetical. Like, how do you think you would do if you managed Man United? Like, mm. could they still maybe win the league? And then Moyes, it felt like it was kind of acting out that experiment and showing <laughs> actually you can't just put anyone in charge. You know bad things will happen so yeah fair play to them for acting out these kind of hypotheticals we talk about it's a dagger to the heart for the football manager lads isn't it That's the yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly thinking that like, i reckon i could do that i mean if you're up you know promising 24 25 year old football player why on earth would you touch manchester united money you can get, you can get you can get good money elsewhere or if you want to, if you want money and you want to play for a football club that is a basket case, Barcelona's right around the corner and has better weather. It's it's that thing of there are better football clubs doing the thing Manchester United are doing, even the bad bits. They always seem on the verge of the signing that's going to sort it out for them. I think maybe if you're a footballer, mm. you think I am. If you're Jane Zanger, you think yeah, or Van der Beek or whoever. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get further opportunity in the weeks to come to discuss these issues for Man United, or maybe how they've resolved them. Because uh, he hasn't had long so far, Ralph Rangnick. Anyway, uh, next up, let's talk about uh, somebody who certainly won't be managing uh, for the foreseeable future in the Premier League, and that's Rafa Benitez and what happened for Everton at Norwich. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Arsenal fan Dave about his New Year's resolutions. How's the 10,000 steps going, Dave? Yeah, it's going great, thanks. The 50 push-ups? Every day. And how about moaning less about Arsenal? Well, seriously, mate, we need to sign a new midfielder if we want top four. And don't get me started on Liverpool postponing that cup. Being a football fan isn't always rewarding. But if it's rewards you're after, you can get money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Snacks free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Teams and apply. 18 plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. And gallops forward on the left hand side and plays it into Adamina. Great chance! And he scores! Adamina's first Premier League goal! He waits so, so long for a Premier League goal, and Norwich City have just scored two in as many minutes! Rafa Benitez, imagine if he went and lost at Norwich, we said last week. Lo and behold, a 2 1 defeat Saturday for Everton to the Canaries, who'd lost their previous six games in a row without scoring, but with this win, shift off the bottom of the table. Although Burnley do have four games in hand on them. So anyway, we'll talk about Norwich in a second. First of all, though, we're joined by Everton uh, writer for The Athletic, Greg O'Keefe. Greg, uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, How much trouble are Everton in? They've just fired their director of medical, their head of recruitment, their manager of scouting, their director of football and their manager in one fell swoop. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a cumulative trouble really, isn't it? Where, where we feel like we're in a place where we've been just far too many times over the past five years. The sixth manager will, will now, be the search will begin for him after Rafa got what felt was the inevitable um, call on Saturday night, as we understand it really, after the defeat at Carrow Road. And um, it's a mess. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Everton are... An absolute mess at the moment. They're, they're a chaos club. The, the owner and the board allowed the club to be moulded very short term in, in the image of Rafa as he as he wants to, a club he goes to. And then at the same track, you know, we're getting increasingly alarmed by results. And then as soon as they felt or, or fired Mashiri, the owner felt there was a genuine concern of relegation, he pulls the trigger. And all of a sudden you've got, as you said in the intro there, you've got all those key figures gone. And I'm not saying Rafa Benitez was responsible for them all going, but uh, he certainly would have influenced one or two of those decisions. Um, and in the short term, at least, he was going to be the de facto director of football as, as well as manager. And now they have neither. Look, the club wants to make a quick appointment. But <laughs> what you want to do and what actually is able to happen are two very different things, as we know from most managerial searches. And uh, I think... You know, just to come back to the question, how much trouble? A lot of trouble. There's only right. six points between them and the drop zone yeah. now, and uh, that's playing like a team that uh, could get well get sucked into it. Mm. Give it to Big Dunk because that worked out pretty well last time. I'm sure that that's a that must be a pretty popular uh, thought uh, around Goodison. But what is the thinking at the club about who they're looking to uh, bring in to replace Benitez? Well, on Big Dunk, there's actually no unifying sort of name. That's part of the problem, really. The fan base has torn and have been for a long time. Uh, they're increasingly frustrated at the ownership. But there's no there's no name at the moment where you could say, like, big, you know, Duncan Ferguson, yes, very popular with a lot of the fans, but equally, you know, as being the assistant manager to um, three or four of these, these managers who've come and gone uh, and doesn't seem... He's interviewed for the job in the past and doesn't seem to have the... The, the faith of the uh, of the owner to come in and do it on a long-term basis. The number one candidate we understand this morning, uh, certainly for so, certain sections of the board, and, and one that Mishiri is considering more than he has previously, is, is Roberto Martinez, which in itself is remarkable because, of course, that was the first manager Mishiri sacked back in 2016 
and also the small matter of the fact that he's trying to prepare the Belgian squad for the World Cup in Qatar this year. So how that would work would be fascinating, whether they'd try and approach him on a interim basis where he'd do some sort of job share. <laughs> you know, how you share... Kevin Keegan in 99 for England and Fulham style. Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, that was in 99, exactly. And, you know, some, you know, some would argue that was a bit of a bonkers arrangement then. But now you're talking about <laughs> pressure, the Premier League, you know, trying to keep a club infeasibly up. And then the elite international management scene, can you do that? Yeah, they're not that many fixtures for Belgium in, in between, but it sounds a little bit uh, fanciful to me that that would work. Um, just just, just crazy. Now, I, I know he, Roberto Martinez would be interested in the job. You know, he was interested in the Newcastle job, but whether or not that would, uh, would materialise remains to be seen. Really, I'm sure the Belgium FA will have a say on that as well. Greg, it's, it sounds, as, a, as an outsider's point of view, it, it feels like Everton... Uh, only believe there's about seven managers in the world and <laughs> they yeah. have to pick one of those seven yeah. I mean what does it say about the club's kind of it's both a lack of amb- ambition and imagination and also the way they talk is that they have a huge amount of ambition yeah there's definitely that confliction yeah you're right the same names seem to pop up again and again and again whenever uh, well frequently Everton are looking for a new manager and you're right the uh, the cast list is a bit tedious um you can't you can't knock them in a way for for trying and showing the ambition to go and get Carlo Ancelotti at the end of the previous incumbent before before uh, Rafa and obviously that didn't work wasn't necessarily down all down to Everton you know it was Ancelotti didn't exactly in the end pull up trees but he was certainly a very ambitious appointment and you know one from left field in terms of the ambition that they showed and and the, the sort of audacity to tr- go and try and hire. You know, as someone who's won the Champions League all those times and been so successful and bring him to Goodison. But I think increasingly, I think the fans feel that they're looking back at the David Moyes era, should we say, uh, and look, especially given how well he's doing at West Ham and thinking that they just crave a singular presence with that simplicity where you had a very strong-minded manager and uh, a chairman slash owner who worked well with him in tandem and there was that much clarity over the structure of the club. Unfortunately, those days are long gone. Um, so you need a manager who's going to come in, and uh, it is a difficult one, the difficult one to pick because he needs to be able to work within the hierarchy of Everton, which is very imperfect, and then he needs to possibly work with director of football. They're doing a club-wide review at the moment to decide whether they persist with that model, um, and there's so many uncertainties. It's it's a job that you actually think, you know, who would who would want it at the moment? Greg, you 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 mentioned Rafa's departure being inevitable but it's only the last week or so that they just let him sign three players and move Luca Dean out so presumably somebody at the club thought they were going to stick with him through this was was it just that losing to Norwich was too great an ignominy yeah fair question actually yeah but I think as ever with Everton you have to kind of sort of kick the tyres a little bit and, and, and look into the sand. The, the, the two full-backs, um, Nathan Patterson from Rangers and uh, Vitaly Mikolenko from Dynamo Kiev, weren't actual Rafa targets. They were mm, players okay. having targeted from before him. So, uh, I mean, you could say, I think they were partly partly scouted by Marcel Brands, the, the now uh, ex-director of football. So you could ask the same question of a Brands, I suppose. But um, Anwar Elgarzi's coming on loan wasn't a Rafa choice either. Never a player Rafa had wanted. Uh, but where you're absolutely spot on is Luca Dean. It, it just it beggars belief. They let they let him win the argument over Luca Dean. You know, one of Everton's better players, 
Uh, and you know, Benitez had a point in this. Dean's behaviour was was pretty poor in his unwilling, unwillingness to put himself before the team was poor. However, you know, they let Rafa win. They froze him out. They sold him to a rival, <laughs> uh, in all intents and purposes, who normally should be looking to finish, or generally have been looking to finish around the same place in the table. We've got, of course, of course, Aston Villa are coming to Goodison next, aren't they? And uh, <laughs> and then off goes Luca Dean. And then, yeah, they get rid of the manager. So, yeah, there's, trying to apply common sense to the situation is difficult. But ultimately, I think it was, as you say, it was that spectre of relegation. Everton are, are building a half a billion pound new stadium. Hmm. And the the very sort of, even the very whiff of a genuine prospect they would go down would be disaster. I mean, it's obviously not, not great for any club, but when you're trying to build a stadium and you're trying to arrange funding and all those sort of complicated levers that an owner has to pull to, to do that, you can't countenance the, the prospect of being in the championship. Yeah, six points, as you say, ahead of Norwich, who are currently lying 18th. Only one win in their last 13 Premier League matches mm. for Everton. Greg, just shout a name out for it. Who do you think will come in? What, what, what would be your guess? I'm intrigued by the by, by the strength of the and, and the number of people who are telling us that Martinez is a genuine contender. I think there's there's something to that. I think he's genuinely interested in it, but there's a long way to go before that can get that could that could happen. And it was it's going to be really interesting to see how it would happen. As we've we've said, whether it's interim, whether he walks away from Belgium, uh, that's going to be very very interesting. And then of course quite how he, he mends bridges or Mashiri gets his head around re, re-employing somebody he's already fired. Uh, Wayne Rooney's obviously being be mentioned. Mm. I think that would be a bit too soon for him and, and just too too mad a job for him to come into. I know Derby hasn't exactly been a walk in the park, <laughs> but Everton could actually chew him up and spit him out at this stage in his career. Um, you know, there's, there's other coaches, in it? Nico Kovac, uh, Lucien Favre. I, I'm not sure at the moment whether or not either of them would, would be the right choice but you know as I said before I don't know at the moment how attractive Everton is right. uh, as a prospect to, to a lot of coaches there's there's money there uh, they can't spend it really at the moment because of the the situation they're in in financial fair play so uh, yeah let's see what uh, Mr Martinez thinks about it and whether or not he can be lured into the dugout next again Gregor Keith. And you can follow the unfolding developments at Everton via Greg at The Athletic, of course. Norwich, though, eh? This is quite something. A Norwich side indeed widely hailed as one of the worst Premier League sides ever and now off the bottom of the table. Potentially, they're one win away from actually getting out of the bottom three. Woohoo! Yeah, it doesn't say an awful lot for the bottom four <laughs> in the Premier League currently, does it? But I can't work out... I mean. I'm trying to reserve judgment because I can't work out whether they were just semi-fortunate to play an Everton at their, they will hope, their lowest ebb. And they've got a massive game away at Watford on on this Friday Mm. night. It's almost the case if you then go and lose that, um, you're basically back to where you started because they had lost six in a row without scoring before. Dean Smith did look a bit weary about how he was going to get goals out of that team. And I don't think Adam... Ida is is the long-term answer to that. So they're not anywhere near staying up yet, I don't think. All right. Richarlison's goal, though, as consolation strikes go, 
pretty, mm. pretty tasty. Yeah, I feel like Rafa was in his final weeks was just leaving the best players on the bench so then he could say that he'd changed the game with his substitutions <laughs> because he brings on Richarlis and he scores an amazing goal and then everyone's like, oh, Rafa's doing it again. Um, yeah, it was a good goal. But I mean, they are, they were, you know, Greg said most of it. But the reason you appoint Rafa Benitez if you haven't got much money is because he will make you solid defensively. And that's what mm. he did eventually at Newcastle. And I don't think I've seen... Roberto Marcez is an interesting choice to come in and organise a defence, put it that way. Um, but he can't do worse than Benitez was doing. So I am forever baffled by Roberto Martinez and the top-tier football clubs he is constantly being linked to. He's been linked to both the Real Madrid and the Barcelona jobs. He, he's been linked to Everton. I've also seen him linked to other teams with aspirations of winning the Champions United League. United should appoint him, Carl. It's been suggested Mar- before. these two things. And you're just going, but why? He's, he's never been particularly talented at organising a defence through his entire Premier League career. His Belgium team is of indeterminate quality. You, I'm very much of the opinion of, you know, he's been given one of the better squads in world football and is getting them to play at par. He's a very nice man. But I don't think that's enough... At top, t- at you know the knife edge of football management. So I'm always hmm. surprised that where he's being linked to the idea that he's coming back to an Everton team six years after he was removed for not being able to organise the defence and not being able to hang on to a league lead, uh, so to speak, is baffling. But I am also a big fan of it because it will be very, very watchable. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, Norwich, meanwhile, climb to 18th, as I mentioned. Burnley slipped to bottom. They didn't play. Newcastle are now 19th after they saw a much-needed three points evaporate in the final minutes of their game at home to Watford. João Pedro with the goal. How how big a moment might that prove in both teams' seasons, Charlie Eccleshare? Very big. I mean, well, this is a bit. This has been Newcastle's issue, isn't it? Throwing away leads, and the more mm. it happens, the more you think it gets in the players' heads. You know, they're going to be aware of this. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, it's just fascinating to see if they do go down. What that will look like with? I mean, it'll be such an. You know, we've talked. The theme of this uh, episode has been kind of you know mismanagement, and it will be fascinating to see what Newcastle do with a huge pot of money. Uh, but they're in the championship because that means that the sort of player and profile you can attract uh, will be intriguing. It might be more you know, money motivated, shall we say. So I think a lot of people would quite like to see what that will look like. Um, but the fear for those people is that with the players they're bringing in, you know, I think Trippier is a good signing, for instance, mm. um, they will sort it out. And they've got someone like Sam Maximan, who is just so much better than you know a lot of their rivals have. So... But they can't. They can't keep doing this. They can't keep chucking away leads. Uh, and you could see. I mean, they did just retreat and retreat. Got nervous, and it actually felt like the goal was coming. Sissoko had that really good chance not long before. Mm. Um, so yeah, potentially, potentially a key moment uh, in the relegation dogfight. Possibly for Watford as well, who travelled to Burnley on Tuesday, if that game goes ahead. And then they, as uh, Daniel was mentioning, uh, will be hosting Norwich on Friday. Sam Maximan there with Newcastle's only shot on target. Was his goal actually better than De Bruyne's? Yes, definitely. Um, It was very Alan Sam Maximan in the same way as De Bruyne's was very (laughs) Kevin De Bruyne. (laughs) uh, In that he danced and tiptoed around 
various players before. I like those finishes where you assume they're going to curl it into the far corner and then they just mm. kind of do the keeper with the eyes. And um, there was a great one at AFCON at the weekend as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought Eddie Howe was a, a fairly shrewd appointment, but the worry about Howe was A, organising the defence and B, mm. that he liked, he generally at Bournemouth talked up playing a kind of football on the floor approach, which doesn't strike particularly logically with the signing of Chris Wood, who is a good signing because he weakens Burnley. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it just doesn't, it all seems very illogical. And Howe has now had home games against Brentford, Norwich, Burnley, Cambridge and Watford and only won one of them. And that's Ooh. a real problem uh, for Newcastle. They've played all their, in inverted commas, gentler home league games now. So having watched them away from home, it's kind of hard to have a huge amount of faith in in them getting the points they need unless they are very busy over the next two weeks. I mean, just the ridiculous finance they have that they could actually make signings just with the express ambition of weakening their opposition. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe that will be their transfer strategy going forward. It's sort of the opposite of what Manchester City did to Man United by feigning, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 feigning yeah. interest in players that they then sign. Yep, worryingly. Newcastle with this game end that run of home fixtures against their bottom three rivals, only one of which they were able to win, the clash with Burnley. All right. Well, still to come, we'll touch on a little bit more of what happened at AFCON and uh, some of the other events at the weekend. Oh, and next up a bit of On This Day. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. 17th of January, listener. On this day in 2001, what happened? Roberto Mancini signed for Leicester as a football player. He was 36... He had a somewhat leggy month at Filbert Street, which was enough for him to fall in love with the English game and form a lasting friendship with Czech's notes, Robbie Savage. Nice. 
Also on this day, 17th of January in 1998, Timuri Kitzbaya with one of the all-time great goal celebrations. It was a 90th minute winner for Newcastle, who were playing Bolton at St James's Park. Kitzbaru come off the bench, then was allowed his frustration, I think is probably the, the best way of saying it, to, to get the better of him. He took off his shirt, began to take off his boots, and seemed minded to basically strip himself of everything. But when a teammate prevented him doing this, he instead started kicking the advertising hoardings repeatedly, violently. There's another. There's a good story that Shearer tells about Ketsbaya that they went on a paintballing, it's like a squad bonding paintballing trip. Right. And after about half an hour, they heard these screams, and apparently Ketsbaya just run behind Aaron Hughes, pushed him onto the floor, and was just kind of shooting him from point blank range. With this kind of <laughs> manic look on his face, and this kind of sort of like, yeah, yeah, this is not. It's not going to be actual water, Murray. <laughs> I, I hate... But, but that happens. You know, it's very Lord of the Flies paintballing. If you give yeah. people the circumstances, it's a Stanford experiment uh, wait, waiting to happen in the woods. The best bit of that celebration is that there's a poor cameraman in front of him, but he's obviously, he's got a, a still camera rather than a, uh, rather than a video camera. And the, the beauty of that celebration is in the manic movement. So he's just sort of sat there not really knowing what to do, whether to actually bother taking a photo of him or not. <laughs> Uh, listen, I should point out that back in 1998, cameras could only take either stills or video. You couldn't, and you certainly couldn't wave a phone at one. <laughs> no. Madness. Anyway, top three. Uh, we should talk about this. Uh, also, because you went along to the Etihad uh, on a Saturday lunchtime for Man City's 1-0 win over Chelsea. Uh, first off, uh, Daniel, can I just quote your take on KDB's goal? A yes. dribble that holds off one of the most complete central midfielders in the world. A latent threat that makes some of Europe's most experienced centre-backs back off rather than trying to block the danger. A curling shot that was effectively De Bruyne calmly passing the ball to a specific point past Kepa's goal line. His footballing brain, Kevin De Bruyne, must be something quite extraordinary. Because, I mean, with some players you think, yeah, he hit it and, you know, it worked out. But with him you feel like he... In the brain, there's all these kind of uh, geometrical shapes and stuff and trajectories evolving, and then Bosch. Yeah, he's also, because of that, he this season, and it's partly because of historic injury issues, but he sort of frustrates me a little bit because he's so good that you sort of wonder, why, why don't you just do that every time? Because you clearly yeah. can do that every time. There's no luck to what you're doing. Um, but yes, I mean... Yeah, he was he was a deserved match winner. It it does feel like if City don't score these brilliant, you know, communal goals, that it's generally De Bruyne that produces the individual brilliance in that team. And uh, and yeah, and that's the headline. But then Manchester City's defending is is the reason they're going to win the title. They've only conceded thirteen goals this season, and three of those were in about ten minutes against Leicester. Um, they just they marshal teams so well. I think Edison's made. 32 saves or something this season and you think well they've played 22 matches like it's not De Gea made seven against Aston Villa <laughs> exactly yeah it's it's a nonsense how assured they are and Guardiola you know Guardiola said the same after the game he, 
he he's been kind of mocked a little bit for this morning, but he was his excitement. He said came from the fact they'd only conceded one shot on target against Chelsea in two games, hmm. um, and that's how he sees it. He sees if we can if we can strangle opponents without the ball, then we can do whatever we want with it, and hmm. it doesn't even matter if our hundred million pound player isn't playing very well. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, meanwhile, had words for his one hundred million pound player. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't directly name him, but he kind I think of. He put- I think he pretty much did, yeah. Did he? Okay. This is officially a spat from both sides now. Um, And I'm not quite sure who it helps. I mean, Lukaku missed his opportunity, literally and metaphorically, to kind of put one in the eye of Tuchel. But I thought Chelsea set up poorly. I don't know why he keeps picking Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic behind Lukaku. It's not a compliment to Lukaku, because he costs £98 million, but he is a striker who's much better when the players around him are playing well. Now, you'd probably maybe you'd expect more for £100 million, but if that's the case, and Tuchel must have known that was the case, mm. because he pushed for him this summer, there was agreement to sign him. He then signs him, talks about using him like Giroud as a target man, and how, I just can't work it out at all. Yeah, why didn't he sign Chris Wood? To, well, uh, like, well, or or Edin Dzeko, <laughs> yeah. who... Yeah. You know, Inter now very proudly think is a perfectly good replacement for Lukaku if you want him to play that role. The moment it became, you know, BT Sport and, and, and Tuchel before before the game talking about how he would be the out ball and they're relying on him to and his hold up play. That's that is absolutely the wrong way to use Romelu Lukaku. I agree on the point about Hakim Ziyech. I think he probably lacks that explosive half yard of pace or the appreciation of angles to possibly work as a Premier League wide player. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad football player, but I, I think you can't quite have a sprinkle of that IX system without playing in a more IX style. So Ziyech, uh, I'm pulling a face saying I'm not sure if he's going to be that player for Chelsea for a bit. Chelsea in this weird state in that sort of every summer there is at least one very good player who is available for other clubs in Europe. Uh, and it's never quite the one I expect to to leave. Uh, I very much thought they'd probably keep Tammy Abraham and ZH would be the one to depart, uh, and there'll probably be another one available for sale this summer. Uh, and again, I'll probably be like, oh, I thought it'd be that lad instead. I mean, are Chelsea the most deluxe cup team ever? Because that's <laughs> sort of what, like, I know that sounds ludicrous because one of those cups is the Champions League, but they haven't been in a title race since they won the league in 2017. I mean, that well, is they, I mean, extraordinary. They, they were top of the table um, last month. Yeah, but I mean, they're miles off it and we're only in yeah, mid-January. Now. Like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I just find it extraordinary that for a team that has been consistently so good and keeps scooping up trophies, can't seem to, but you know, mount a title challenge in Isn't five this because Man City... Just, no, know. I, I, I don't think it is, still. No, no, I don't think it is Man City. I, they've played they've played 10 games this season in the league against teams, i.e. Brighton or higher, so ninth and upwards, and they've only won two of those games. But that's nothing to do with Manchester City. That's to do with them being good, not good enough. And Manchester City and, to an extent, Liverpool have changed the rules with these you know, nonsense streaks of consecutive wins. But Tuchel hasn't won four, more than four games in a row as, as Chelsea manager in the league yet. And... The reality is, is if if you want to be in a title race, and we all expected Chelsea to be be in one at the start of the season, you need to do better than that. You can't win four games and then slip up against a Brighton at home, or although Liverpool did that. But yeah, it's just yeah, I I can't quite work him work him out at the moment. And this Lukaku thing is is a helpful distraction from 
uh, you know another bad result and not particularly good performance or setup. But it's it's also unhelpful for Tuchel because he's going to have to make it work. You can't just leave out a ninety eight million pound striker because the reason he's there is that Timo Werner didn't work last season and he's on the bench as well. Yeah. Well, uh, Chelsea now slip behind Liverpool, who are themselves eleven points adrift of Man City, although they do have a game in hand on Pep's side. Liverpool with a 3-0 win over Brentford Sunday lunchtime. Much expected this, uh, Trent doing Trent things. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain with a goal. Uh, But nice for Liverpool to do some scoring after the frustrations of their 0-0 draw with a 10-man Arsenal uh, on Thursday in the Carabao Cup semi-final. Also this weekend, Wolves. Hey, three goals against Southampton. What the heck? It's the highest scoring game the Molyneux has seen this season. Saints also got one through the extraordinary James Ward-Prowse. Dead-eyed James Ward-Prowse. Only David Beckham has scored more free kicks in Premier League history than JWP. Uh, You also had Connor Cody scoring, Adama Traore scoring with his 23rd shot of this Premier League season. (laughs) Remarkable. Two seasons ago, I had a look at Ward, James Ward Prowse's uh, free kick record. Uh, I was talking to Matt Letizia about it. Uh, and he, uh, Mr. Letizia described uh, essentially the way Ward Prowse crumples his body up during the striking motion of a free kick is one reason why his free kick technique is so good and so consistent. So while we can't look up statistics as to why, uh, as to uh, Beckham's free kick taking power, so to speak. The last time I checked, Ward-Prowse was the most on-target free-kick taker in the Premier League. Or, you know, out of all the people that take a shot, he's always going to at least get it on target or trouble the keeper. Uh, and I think it's reasonable to say he's probably the best free-kick taker in the world now uh, who isn't Lionel Messi. But this crumpling the body up, did, did Latisse offer any more specifics about that? Uh, it was described a bit like a golf swing. So the power he generates, uh, Mr Ward-Prowse generates, from his instep, is very consistent and the way he makes sure his body could the basic the, the striking motion is so consistent is he sort of collapses in on himself after he hits the ball there's a very clear before during after motion mm. to his free kick taking that isn't the same with someone like James Madison or someone like you know people who take the knuckleball technique uh, but there is a consistency in the motion um, all three steps of the free kick taking motion to, to Ward Prowse that you just don't see in other free kick takers in the Premier League. Also, we know last season he went from taking sort of 20 free kicks during training sessions to only taking six because he's trying to be a more precise uh, and try and replicate match taking free kick scenarios more going on. Only Interesting. Two so he gives himself less of, a, less of an opportunity. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. As well, did uh, did Letizia say the mainstream media is not talking about this crumple <laughs> technique? Um, well, I don't know if the athletic counts as mainstream media in this one, so um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, there you go. How far out was this one as well? It was away miles downtown, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was, and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a different type of free kick that we'd seen. If you were being highly ungenerous, you'd say it was a hit and hope area of free kick which inevitably it kind of has to be from that range but the power he gets is so astonishing that even from that range you know Jose Sarr has been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League this season he's not within you know he's not within six inches of saving that it's remarkable Mm. 
All right, brilliant stuff. And lovely to see Wolves delivering a little bit on all that XG they've been piling up, which actually wasn't all that much XG. But anyway, nice for them. Uh, also this weekend, and also featuring a pretty spectacular goal, was Brighton's 1-1 draw with Crystal Palace. The goal I referred to was that kind of Barcelos Parcolona effort, which featured every single member of the Eagles' side, touching the ball in a 20-pass move with uh, Conor Gallagher finishing it off. Yeah, they, um, that, that's the moment of Palace in a game of slightly worrying football was Brighton were dominant again. It was almost a, a, a game that kind of just re-emphasised the, the kind of stereotypes of both teams this season and that Brighton were well on top and yet had to wait for a late goal to get the goal they deserved because they can't finish themselves and eventually relied on the the opposition doing it and Palace kind of struggling to produce this football but when it clicks and it and it does seem to click at least once every game they they produce these moments of you know, one of the team goals of the season I'd have thought mm, absolutely Brighton who've now scored a third of their league goals you were pointing out Daniel a third of their league goals after the 81st minute of matches mm. Mm, well Sure, we could talk long about why that is. Uh, they could have had the victory here had uh, they actually scored. Uh, it had uh, who took the penalty? Uh, Pascal, Pascal Gross. Gross. Gross negligence. Ha! <laughs> nice. Uh, but to Jack Butland uh, redeeming himself after his problems at Millwall last weekend uh, with the save there. Anyway, one-one. Uh, Brighton will be taking on Chelsea on Tuesday. That'll be interesting. Seagulls took a point from Stamford Bridge. Uh, less than three weeks ago. Also on Tuesday, Burnley's game with Watford, if Burnley can get a team together. Wednesday, you've got Brentford, Man United, as we mentioned before. And also Leicester, Tottenham. Both teams having had the weekend off. So that's midweek fun for you to enjoy. There's also the AFCON rolling on. Loads of things happened this weekend. Looking forward to hearing about those because I was busy with the the Italian on Sunday, and it, it seems like uh, loads, loads of stuff took place. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They, uh, you know, with the the opening round of games had, uh, I think, something like six one nil victories out of nine games. But the 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 cobwebs have been blown off. Everyone's sort of caught up to speed. And in true Afcon form, right? It doesn't matter if you're from a, a favoured nation or a bigger nation or have a golden generation. Anyone right. can get beaten up. So defeats to Algeria. Um, a, a like well, I'm not going to include Ghana in this because Ghana aren't actually a favourite. I was going to say, Carl, because you say everyone can get up to speed. <laughs> Ghana can't. <laughs> Ghana very much cannot. This is the um, depending on who which Ghanaian football fan you talk to, this is either the end of a footballing generation for Ghana or the start of a new one. Uh, they're very much in a transitional state and they can't get their act together or score any goals, which is a bit unfortunate when you want to do well at AFCON. Uh, Nigeria look really good as well, which is quite painful for a Ghanaian football fan. Yeah. A Ghana on the brink of elimination already, taking on uh, Comoros on Tuesday and needing other results to go uh, their way. Indeed. They need either a 2-0 victory to be one of the better third-place finishers or they need seven different results to go their way in the event of a draw. Okay. So, well, that's not too bad. Yeah. yeah. Stranger things have happened at an AFCON. Yeah, indeed. Oh, uh, Algeria, for example, losing on Sunday 1-0 to Equatorial Guinea. Algeria, who you will recall, were on a 35-match unbeaten streak, but not after facing Equatorial Guinea. Crikey, what happened here? 
Uh, they they did as they did in the their opening game, which is that they were kind of half paced for the first half, mm-hmm. as if they were just expecting to score at some point, and then tried to step it up in the second half. And whereas they 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 kind of you know they they deserved to win their opening game. They didn't deserve to win this one, and then got robbed by a, a kind of smash and grab late on. They they've now got obviously they're defending champions. They've got to be Ivory Coast, or almost certainly will have to be Ivory Coast in their last game to to qualify and Ivory Coast dropped late point against Sierra Leone with a goalkeeping uh, calamity shall we call it um, which doesn't help Algeria because it means that Ivory Coast need something out of the game as well so yeah, um, yeah. I, I think Algeria will probably go home Wow that game's coming up that Algeria Ivory Coast match is on Thursday but ooh Sierra Leone who we were getting excited about uh, in uh, what was it Thursday's show Another dramatic draw for them because they had that 2-2 with Ivory Coast, a match which pitted Wilfred Zaha against Stephen Corker, having these two players previously featured in an international match on the same side uh, for England against Sweden. This is yeah. the, 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 the newer joy of our AFCON tournament, or, or indeed, and this is the result of work done by the Algerian FA, at the, at, you know, the, earlier on in the century and indeed the Moroccan FA to essentially lobby and petition FIFA for redrawing of, of uh, national team allegiances. So now we're in a current state where I think as long as you haven't played more than three senior team appearances for your national team, you can change. And this is why Zaha is now playing for England, why no longer playing for England and why Stephen Cocker is now at Sierra Leone, which is the, I mean, again, if you talk to a, a number of Algerian football fans of a certain age, they will talk at length about Zindin Zidane and at length about Karim Benzema. So, uh, so these, these, this AFCON is also quite interesting because it's the first, maybe the second big AFCON where you are seeing more of these players who, who might have been, you know, have two or three on the 21 caps for a former colonial power now playing. Um, and you're seeing, I mean, they're greatly enjoying the experience that is an AFCON. All right, well, uh, we're into match day three of the group stage now, the decisive matches. What should people be looking out for over the next few days? Yeah, I mean, that that Ivory Coast-Algeria game is the game of the week. I think Nigeria-Egypt was kind of billed as the the tie of the group stage. That's now shifted to to Ivory Coast-Algeria because it's, yeah, the defending champions going out in the group stage. And Carl, Carl may well know, but this better than me, but the way those countries react to international um, cock-up and exiting from a group stage, that will be a national, you know, a, tra- a day of tragedy. We should also say that the Cameroonian uh, Prime Minister or the Cameroonian President has um, changed the, the, the hours of schooling and the working week. Uh, to engage the Af- the Cameroonian public to watch the games on TV more, which is a really nice touch. As I say, I'm going out a week on Thursday, and um, mm. yeah, I can't wait. Excellent. Mm. I would also suggest a uh, listener to make time for Gabon versus Morocco Tuesday at 7 o'clock, because Morocco possibly, I'm pulling a face, uh, one of the teams expected to make the quarterfinal stage, if not better, uh, and Gabon, who, again, if they can get uh, Pierre and other players back in time could uh, be a force in the knockout stages as well. Brilliant. All right, well, uh, on Thursday, we'll be back with another Totally Football show and we'll dial up Maher Mazahi to hear his take on scaffolding and you know whether he's been able to get out the front door, stuff like that. His uh, kind of video diaries, though, on his social media 
are a, a very interesting window into the experience of following AFCON on the front line, on the ground level. Uh, brilliant. That, though, wraps it up for today's show. Listen, thank you so much for being with us right to the end. Uh, it's been a joy being here with Carl and Charlie and producer Charlie and Daniel and you, listener. Hope you have a lovely week and we'll be with you again on Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.